Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My colleague and friend, as always, is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on a friend, Sacramento guy we've admired for years, seeing him drive around uh, Sacramento in a variety of different vehicles. His name is Andy Harris. He owns a, an attorney services company in Sacramento, and he's with us this morning. Good morning, Andy. How are you, friend? Good morning, James. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Well, uh, let's start from the get-go. How many cars do you? How many vintage cars do you currently own? And pick one and tell us um, its genesis, where you got it. And let's start with the Batmobile, which is what I always call it. But I know it's not quite a Batmobile. No, that's that's true, and that was one the one I was going to choose also because it's my favorite. Um, I currently own three collectors' cars. Uh, the Batmobile, which you're describing, is actually a 1959 Crown Imperial, and it's black on black, so it does look quite a bit like a Batmobile. It's got huge wings uh, on the tail lights, and that was a distinctive uh, feature of 1959, both with uh, Imperials and all the Chrysler products and, of course, Cadillac, which had the, you know, the most famous uh, 1959 Cadillac Eldorado with those giant tail fins. So, yeah, that car was my grandmother's car. Um, the way that, that car came into the family is that uh, she didn't have a lot of money, but she really liked those cars. So um, a typical person would buy a car like that in 1959. They were about, about $6,000. And that's back when you could buy, you know, a, a small house for about $15,000. Yes. And the, the Imperial was, uh, it had already uh, uh, left the Chrysler Corporation become an independent company. In 1959, they only made about 4,500 cars. And of them, uh, they made 1,335 of these crowns to dance. All that's irrelevant to an extent because my grandmother bought that car in 1962 on a used car lot for $1,600. Oh, fantastic. And that's, and that's back in the days when uh, people would buy a car like that. It was considered a status symbol. And um, they'd drive it for two or three years, um, take it to a used car lot, let it go for five or $600, and go out and buy another one. And uh, that's, how that, that's how my grandmother came into the possession of that car. And, how many and then eventually, uh, eventually, she kept it so many years it actually went completely out of style, and then it came completely back in style. And uh, she was kind of an eccentric that never threw anything away, never sold anything. She just kept keeping that car patched together, basically with the proverbial uh, bubble gum and bailing wire. I inherited the car in 1994. She gave the car to me after she died. And, uh, you know, I've been basically fixing it ever since. <laughs> yes. A lot of deferred maintenance. <laughs> are wow. you are you a mechanic yourself, or do you find experts who happen to know about that vehicle, or maybe a little bit of both? I'm a mechanic uh, to the extent that you know, when I first started buying new cars in the late '70s, they're very simple econo boxes that I would work on and do do routine maintenance. This '59 Imperial is um, is an over-engineered car for its day. And the car scares me to death, so I've never turned a wrench or done anything on that car. I've never even changed the oil. It's just too intimidating. Wow. Wow. Uh, so where do you take it to? A, you have a good mechanic or just a mechanic? I have a great mechanic. Um, I don't know if you allow plugs. Sure. But, um, I've, I've, the guys in Sacramento, um, they took over Porter Sprague. 
which uh, closed its doors about five years ago, and now they're called Porter's Old to New, and they're in the 95815 zip code if anybody wants to look them up. These guys uh, have a passion for working on old cars, mostly American cars, and, you know, the cars with the big V8 engines like mine. And they had worked on the car for years, you know, uh, before they even uh, started their own business. And uh, they've continued to work on the car to this day, and they, they really do a great job. Really good. I've, I've sent all my car collector friends to them, and everybody's been very happy. We'll probably go and get them to be guests on a, on a podcast yeah, at some point. Excellent. It sounds like guys to really know and, and soak up their knowledge. So we don't mind really that at should. all. These, yeah, these guys are fantastic. I could introduce you to uh, both of them. The owners are a guy named Reg, and then the other guy's name is Dave, and they have encyclopedic uh, knowledge of old collectors' cars, and, and that's what they work on. They do a great job. Fantastic. Um, when you drive that car, the last time we know each other through the years, um, you're, you know, you're an elite athlete, and I'm just the guy who you know, goes to shows up at some races every once in a while. But the last time we saw each other um, in any, at any length of time was down on the Delta at the Fair 10 miler, which is coming up again. And, and you drove that car and you pulled into the, the dirt parking lot in this little small town, which is, you know, the remember if you remember the cheerleaders kind of led you into the parking lot. It was, it's great. It's like stepping into Mayberry and you had that it car. Really and when you had that car down there, whether it's there or any place else, can you give us some examples of the reaction that you get to that car? Well, it's really fun. First of all, I would say for anyone who owns a very unusual collector's car like that, is that you better be ready to talk to people. Uh, you have to be outgoing to own that vehicle or any vehicle because people will stop and talk to you. That car is an interesting car because people in their 70s and 80s will walk up and tell me if they remember when the cars were new, if they remember when they were on the showroom. Um, that car is a very local car. There's some people that actually know that car because that car was first sold at Vandenberg Motors on Alhambra Boulevard. That car's been a lifelong Sacramento car. That's but great. all that aside, you know, all that aside, is that even if you're going to go get a tank of gas, you had better not be in a hurry. I always allot about an extra 20 minutes because that car especially, because it's 19 and a half feet long and it's 7 feet wide, attracts a lot of attention and it's in very good condition that also attracts a lot of attention because people are really amazed that the car has no rust on it it's been you know it's obviously now that it's in my hands it's extremely well maintained people are really curious half the time i wind up having to open the hood and show them the the 413 wedge engine with the four barrel carburetors and everything so it, it's a conversation piece and i allow about 20 minutes uh, just to go get a tank of gas just from the time I pull in to the time I pull out, because I usually get surrounded by people, and they're all friendly. It's that's, a lot of fun. That's great. As a quick aside, a while back I had a chance to drive a, a Bentley sedan, and they made such a big deal, and, and it was, you know, rightfully so. The car was 18 feet 6 inches long, and I've never driven in a car that big, and it, it proved <laughs> a little problematic. But you've got a car that's longer than than, than the big Bentley, so that's that's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's more the... Um, Driving a car that long is more a function of what the wheelbase really is versus the overall length. I'm willing to bet that Bentley has a longer wheelbase than the Imperial. The Imperial actually has a somewhat short wheelbase with that tail end that's probably three and a half feet long with that huge chunk that just hangs out over the back of the car. But yeah, with longer cars, you have to take turns wider and uh, really plan ahead. Also, with heavy cars, 
you have to be, you know, you can't just uh, slam on the brakes. It's going to be a much longer stopping distance. So you have to really not follow too closely. You're going to wind up, you know, on top of somebody. That's right. Thank goodness they've improved the brake system since 1959. That's right. How many miles? Oh, you definitely. How many miles you got on that thing? How many miles are on that, Andy? That car has uh, 152,000 miles on it. It's kind of interesting. Uh, when my grandmother got it, uh, I've still got the invoices from the used car lot from 1962. The guy who owned it apparently was a traveling salesman, so he put a lot of miles on it. He put 48,000 miles on it in three years, which was a lot of driving back in those days. And so uh, with that, she drove it. It was just her daily driver from 1962 to 1994. And, and she put about just under 100,000 miles on it during that time. And um, and since I got it and have had it, you know, had the engine rebuilt, transmission, suspension, everything else I've done to it, and brakes, of course. Um, I've only put about, oh, I've put about 6,000 miles on that car in about 15 years. Wow. That's all. I have. I don't drive it a lot. There, there were times during that 15 years when I was getting some, uh, like there was one time I had it in a shop getting electrical work done, and it was in the shop for almost a year. So it was a whole year I didn't drive it. Gotcha. So things like that happen with these old cars. I don't drive it much in the winter. Sometimes I'll put it in the garage in October. And since I have a detached garage, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind with my other car that I keep in there. And then sometimes, you know, March comes along and goes, you know, I haven't driven that car in five months. <laughs> there you go. Go somewhere. <laughs> so uh, that car aside, um, what would be the next one you want to chat about? I know that you recently acquired a new car, I think, on Facebook or Instagram or maybe yeah. both. You, you gave some information about that, and is it it's a, is it a Citroen? A Citroen. Yeah, Citroen. Yeah. Yeah, French car. It's called Citroen. Uh huh. And uh, those cars were sold here in the U.S. Uh, I believe, and, and I'm not a real Citroen historian, but at least from 1956, maybe longer ago, up until 1973, and that's. That's really my favorite car. If, you know, um, the, the Imperial was bestowed upon me, but uh, if I'm going to go out with my own money and buy a car or have a car restored, I really like Citroens. I'm, I'm a real lover of all things quirky and unusual, and nothing is quirkier or more unusual than a Citroen. That's right. They are very quirky. I always thought they were the ugliest vehicle on the road. <laughs> Not so they, much they, anymore. There's know, uglier ones, but... no. There are, and it's funny because uh, my history on Citroens uh, goes back to um, when I was a kid. I used to see them around town. They, there was, they, would, they sold a lot of the smaller ones that are called the 2CV. Um, in France, they call them the 2 chevaux. And it looks just like a Volkswagen Beetle, except it's even smaller and lighter. It's like a 1,200-pound car. It has a two-cylinder air-cooled engine. I remember and that. And so I used to see those cars around town when I was a kid. My mom liked them a lot. We never bought one, but she'd point them out, and I, I just uh, got a kick out of seeing those. So eventually I got the feeling that I might like to buy one. So I looked for years and years. It's very, very hard to find. And before the Internet, it was back in the late 80s, I finally found one, and uh, there was a... Uh, a guy in Sacramento, a Belgian gentleman who's since become a really good friend of mine, uh, his name is Richard Bonfant, and uh, Haggerty Magazine uh, called him the Crown Prince of Citroën. So I was just lucky enough to have this guy right here in Sacramento, and he was he would um, import the cars from Europe or maybe find, find them here, and he'd restore them and sell them. So I found a, he had a car for sale, and uh, I just saw it on a street corner, the for sale sign on it. It's beautiful, so I bought it. It's kind of like a 30th birthday present to myself. Mm -hmm. And um, 
really enjoyed that car, and, so I, and I bought another one like a year later, so I had two of them for a while. And then uh, I sold those, and I eventually got the nerve to buy a, uh, uh, a Citroen, the bigger sedans I think Bruce is referring to, that you, you either think they look hideous or you think it's the most beautiful car you've ever seen. They're real polarizing yes. in their looks. Uh, they, I think a lot of it is because they don't have a grill. And um, people look at those cars and they look extremely odd. But what I like about those cars is they have a hydraulic suspension. And Citroen invented that hydro-pneumatic suspension, which is self-leveling, uh, way ahead of its time. It came out in 1956. So I found a 1961 Citroen. Uh, it actually belonged to one of my fellow Citroen collectors. And I bought that from him in uh, 2010. <clears throat> and uh, had some work done on that. It needed quite a bit of sorting out. The car was beautiful. I drove that for years, and I just sold that car back in February to make room for the um, the greatest Citroen ever built, which is the SM, which means Sport Maserati. So that's what I'm currently driving. Fantastic. It's front-wheel drive, correct? All, wasn't all their cars front-wheel drive? All their cars are front-wheel drive. Um I'm not sure if they invented front-wheel drive or independent suspension, but if they didn't invent it, they were right at the forefront. Um, the, I mean, their first front-wheel drive car was the Traction Avant, which I believe came out in 1934. And I think I think that was the first front-wheel drive car. But yes, all their cars are front-wheel drive, at least up through 1973. So the car I have now is a 73 Citroen SM. It was a uh, kind of a hybrid car between Maserati and Citroen. Citroen uh, purchased Maserati in 1970 so that they could um, develop their own vehicles, but with uh, much more high-performance engines from Maserati. So Citroen took this SM, as they called it, and it's like a um, sport touring sedan, basically. It's a fairly large car, very fast. They put a uh, a Maserati uh, six-cylinder engine in there, a V6 three-liter engine with a uh, five-speed transmission, and that that car has uh, three two-barrel carburetors on it. It's a it's a great wow. car. Uh, the one I have is um, it's uh, one of 600 made in 1973. They only made 600 of those with the three-liter engine and the five-speed. And uh, the car is extremely rare, and uh, it's just a fantastic car. It has a, you know, it has about 185 horsepower, which by today's standards is not that much. No, but it's back good then, back that then, was yeah. considered a. Back then, it was considered a high-powered car. I mean, when you when you drive an old-fashioned, high-performance car, you have to understand that that car was high-performance in that day and age, not today's day and age of, like, these Hellcats and all these cars that have 500 horsepower. Those cars didn't even exist back then. No. So A couple of quick that, things come to mind. Um, number one, uh, you mentioned Haggerty's, and, and Bruce kind of, we, we met a guy from Haggerty's a couple of three years ago, and they talked about uh, publishing a new magazine, and Bruce now subscribes, and I soon will subscribe, but when he gives me a copy of it and I look through it, it's, um, I think you might agree it's the best car magazine out there. It's just it, it, uh, with the interviews they do, and there's even you know a Jay Leno column, which is always great, and the and the interviews they have with people. Yeah, Wayne and there's Carini. Wayne Carini. Yeah, it's yeah. just a fantastic yeah. publication. And the second part of that is, I uh, would never ask you specifically, but since you have these cars, do you go through Haggerty or somebody else in terms of your insurance? I do go through Haggerty, and I always have, and. Um, I didn't know, you know, when you first buy a collector's car, um, you're not really get, you're not going to get it insured through um, conventional means because um, 
your insurance company may not understand the value of the car or respect what it could cost to fix the car in a collision or anything like that. So if you go through Haggerty, um, that's your realm, you know, if you're a car collector. Yes. Um, the, uh, they're just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, speaking specifically of that magazine, that magazine's incredible. But you should have seen that magazine 15 years ago. It was a tiny, thin little thing. It was basically like a newsletter, and it's developed now into something that looks almost like road and track. It's just amazing. But what's cool about it is they're only talking about old cars, uh, most, more specifically about old cars and new cars. They, they talk a little bit about new cars, but it's mostly collectors' cars they're writing articles on. And the articles are incredibly interesting. And a lot of articles are just about everyday car collectors like me that, you know, yes. that, you know have a couple of cars. And it's, it's interesting to see this, you know. I really enjoy it. Yeah, even even on the... Uh, the Wall Street Journal, um, a friend of mine told me this morning, well, I, I've known about their, it's called My Ride, and once a week they feature, you know, on a small scale, not in a magazine-length story, but maybe in five or 600 words, they always interview somebody uh, with their vintage car, and they had a guy on uh, from Sacramento a while back, in Sacramento a while back, uh, maybe he's Auburn, but they've had a few Northern California people in the, in the last six months, so it's the same kind of thing. You just get to read about somebody who's got a passion for a Toyota Corolla or or an Imperial, you know, or anything else. It's great. I love those kind of stories. I mean, you know, I, I've, yeah, I've had an article written about um, me and my Imperial. I think when they're writing about old cars, what's interesting is they're not just writing about the car, they're writing about the person. Yes. And the person who maintains this car and is like, you know, the steward of this car uh, is is an interesting person most of the time also and you know every car has a story i mean so you know like my story is that i got that car from my grandmother yes. i actually have um, my my third car yes you probably be wanting to eventually ask me about mm. is is kind of an interesting car but it's a very mainstream car but i speaking of family cars i inherited this car from my mother mm -hmm. of all people and uh that was back in uh 2011 what my mom had was a uh, 1991 Mazda Miata, oh. but the car is practically like new. It's a, it's it's what most of them were. They were um, it's real basic. It's just a red. It's red with a black vinyl convertible top, and uh, you know black cloth interior. And that car was always garage. That car is, even to this day only has 95,000 miles on it. I just kind of drive around a little bit during the summer, mm -hmm. but. Um, that car, uh, it's really funny when you think of that car in 1991 uh, from the perspective that it was considered a sports car. I mean, that, that's a car that has 115 horsepower. Nice. Right. I mean, that was a sports car back then. Yes. But it, the thing is the thing is fun to drive. You know, you put the top down, you know, you can hear the engines kind of loud. They all came with five speeds, and um, it's really kind of a sporty car to drive. They're kind of fun, and they're incredibly, incredibly reliable, I think. Um, it was you or someone told me the last time I spoke to you that, that was the most mass-produced sports car of all time. Is that correct? You knew something yes, about that. Yes, yes. And we, uh, we've we've test-driven a couple through the years for um, the auto reviews that I've written, and, and Bruce has been in several of them. And, yeah, it's the you've said sports car. They, they still say it's the biggest-selling sports car in history, but it, you're right. It's hard to compare that as a sports car to some of today's sports cars. But every time I've driven one, um, with uh, particularly with the top down and now they have the hard top convertible too in recent years fantastic car but if you're um my size if you're six feet and 200 pounds or whatever i am it, it gets a little 
uh, uncomfortable after a few hours, but you kind of grin and bear it because you're enjoying the top down and you're enjoying the car so much that it's not being all that comfortable is, is almost an afterthought. The Weekly Driver Podcast gets support from AmericanMuscle.com, your late model Mustang and F-150 authority, bringing you the hottest products and top-notch customer service for over a decade. No one makes it easier to modify your ride. Visit AmericanMuscle.com today. Yeah, I mean, for my mom, <laughs> being 5'3 and 110 pounds, she's probably just about the right size for that car. Right. And she would just basically just, that was like her summer car. My parents lived up near Lake Tahoe, so she would just drive that around all summer. And then the winter, she'd just park it in the garage and drive a four-wheel drive all, all winter in the snow. So, yeah, it, it, those cars, most people that own those are not seriously driving those things every day. But that being said, I've run into people that have over 300,000 miles in those cars and have never had anything serious go wrong with them. I think, um, based on my own unscientific facts, I see so many of those on the road to this day, and they're all like 1991s or 1992s, kind of first generation of that car. Yes. I have to think that's one of the most well-made cars ever built. It really is an incredible car. It's very simple. Yes. I think people like them because they're really engaging. You know, you can, they shake and rattle and roll. The seats are hard. You can feel all the lateral movements when you're driving it. You know, there's no power steering in those early ones, and it's great. It's just like an old, any classic car in the 70s and, and older right they're engaging you have to think it really is i think think you know, way ahead about I, hitting the brakes you mm -hmm. don't just you get you got to think about yeah. your stops well that car will actually stop a little quicker than the imperial just because it, it doesn't weigh very much that <laughs> that's that's helpful but i still remember the first time i saw one of those and I knew they were getting ready to come out with them, and I think they came out in, like, 1989, I believe. But I remember seeing one down on J Street in Sacramento, and they had the top down. I'd never seen one. And just for a second, I thought it was, was a, uh, like, a 1969 Lotus Elan. Yes. And, and, that, and, I, and I knew that that's what the car was being based on, but just to see the Miata, it looked almost like a, a true copy of that British car. Uh, which was incredibly unreliable. And so <laughs> yeah. to basically uh, completely recreate that car uh, without the Lucas electronics and all the problems that, that Lotus had with all those hand-built cars, just to mass-produce this car uh, for a pretty reasonable price was a brilliant idea. And they, they sold hundreds of thousands of those cars, and they're still selling them, so that tells you something. One time here in Sacramento, I was over at uh, the Camellia Center Shopping Center. It's three or four years ago, and I had a Miata convertible, and I pulled up to go to the grocery store or whatever it was, and, and a guy pulled up next to me in the same exact car, and when he got out of the car, he was like the size of a you know an NBA player. Well, he was six. I asked the guy, how tall are you? And he said, 6'4", and he was bigger than I am in terms of his weight, and I said, I just said, how the hell do you get out of that car? He said, well, it's, it, it's, it takes, he said, but I love every second of it. So here was a guy who was bigger than I am. Uh, not that I'm huge, but at six foot four, I don't know how that guy was getting in and out of that car. He had to kind of unfold himself, but he just thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and that's, that speaks to the Miata uh, as well, that people just overlook the fact that it's pretty small. It is, it is, but, um, you know, if, if you really love a certain kind of a vehicle, you'll overcome the sacrifices and you'll enjoy it no matter what, even That's, if, you know, you have to put up with something in order to enjoy the car, you know. Now, on a personal level, um, Andy, uh, you, you were married in recent years, and um, what, what does your wife uh, 
think about any of these three cars? And is she an enthusiast like you are, or does she not understand it? Or fill us in if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's funny when you talk to car collectors about their wives because you, you, first thing you want to find out is that their wives are what I call sympathetic to the cause. Yes, yes. Now there's some guys, there's some guys that hoard cars like crazy, and I, I think that drives everybody nuts. But um, you know, I have a deal with my wife so that I'm not going to spend our inheritance on on cars, and I'm also um, like the last time I, like this most recent Citroen I bought, I sold one at a. At a substantial profit in order to buy this new one so the upgrade uh was was not uh killing me financially to yes. go from one citron to the next and i'm not just collecting you know a dozen cars and parking that on the street so i really limit this thing you know and try not to turn it into a disease um <laughs> I, I think i because it can yes yes happen we i can um, name a few yeah, people sure. i won't name yes <laughs> yeah, they're, they're out there, man. Trust me, I know several. Yeah. But uh, and, and Citroen people tend to be notorious. I, I can't tell them, tell you how many people I know that own like eight Citroens and only one of them runs. You know? <laughs> Boy. But um, you know, yeah, she 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 likes cars. When we first met, she said she really liked the collectors' cars, and and um, she just uh, she doesn't like the fact they don't have any modern conveniences. She likes to you know plug her phone into the dashboard and sure. stuff that you can't do in these in these old cars. So that's frustrating at times. But um yeah, she likes the old cars quite a bit and I, I sort of sell her on it because um they're also a, a pretty good investment. Um I'm not getting rich on these cars, but I sell them for more than I pay for them. The one exception is my grandmother's Imperial which um, I've, so far I've spent $37,000 on it, and it's still just a $15,000 car. Yes. <laughs> but that's, wow. a family, that's a family heirloom, and I'm never going to sell it, so I guess I don't even have to justify that expense. I'm just, I just ignore it and just move on. But the other cars have to make sense economically. I got a good deal on, the, um, on my latest Citroen as an example of that, in that um, I went through a consigner, and he found me uh, buyers for my Citroen, and then he found me um, my Citroen that I wanted to buy. So he, he worked out a two-way deal, it's really a three-way deal. And um, I was actually able to get my dream car and uh, also sell the car that I had to make room for the new car. That sounds very smart. Heck yeah. Yeah, that's good. What's your next uh, dream car? Do you have one? What, what are you looking to get next? <sighs> I'm not sure. I, I, think, I think I may have you know all I need. Now, I think this SM checks all the boxes. Um, because I love Citroens, and you can't get a more interesting Citroen. You can't get a faster Citroen, that's for sure. And um, I, I like that it's incredibly rare. I have um, documents going back to when the car was new. It, um, the car came essentially with a file cabinet that has records of everything ever done to the car, all the owners, uh, you know, the whole timeline and everything else. So I'm probably not going to get another car like that again. And um, to be honest with you, the reason I bought that car, I wasn't looking to get one right away, but the price on that car has been really escalating, on, on those SMs has been escalating over the last four or five years, and I actually had to get one before the, before the price got completely out of my range. So that's why I bought one. Um, I, I think that might be one of the most fast appreciating cars in the world. They're, they finally caught on. And um, they've become incredibly popular. Another plug to Haggerty, they they actually list that kind of stuff, appreciation they for do. various cars. They do, yeah. You can, you can look at their charts and see 
uh, which cars have gone up. Some cars aren't as popular as they used to be. I believe like 57 Thunderbirds are starting to come down in price. Yes. So, you know, it's a little bit like the stock market. I don't think, um, as a car collector, you should be as worried about that as just enjoying the cars. But what hap- what drives the price of um, these collector's cars are all these car auctions. So if you're watching these car auctions on TV, uh, people are you know trying to outbid each other to buy these cars, and they just keep driving the prices up. And uh, in fact, in my own situation, I tried to buy a different SM uh, last year. It was on Bring a Trailer, and um, it, it got to the point where I wasn't going to bid any more money, so I let the next guy go ahead and outbid me. He, he has the car. I just, it, I didn't know where the bidding was going to end. I didn't even want to find out, so I just bailed out. Good. The um, the other thing about it that I'm interested in is you, you mentioned well the three cars. I think the uh, your latest purchase, if I'm not mistaken, sometimes gets listed on both lists. It gets listed on the hundred ugliest cars ever made, and it gets listed on the hundred most beautiful cars ever made. So you mentioned polarizing, I think, um, and you would know more than I would know, but is that correct? I mean, do you, have you seen it on both lists like I think I have? Yeah, probably not the SM so much, because uh-huh. the SM, uh, the one I just bought, looks kind of like a rocket ship. It's sort of a timeless, futuristic design. Oh, yes, you're right. From, ni- from the 70s, it still looks futuristic. The one that people don't like as much is the earlier versions which were the um, you know the ID19 that I had, which are more commonly referred to as the DS series, and those are the ones that came out in 1956, and, and they made those cars until 1974, and um, th- those cars, uh, even when I first saw one of those, I thought it was ugly, and it's a strange thing if you, if you look at those long enough, they start to grow on you, and then if you drive one. It just it's an amazing driving experience. I mean, you can go over a speed bump. At like 60 miles an hour, and it just goes thunk thunk like that. That's all it does. You can't even feel it. That's great. That's that suspension is absolutely incredible. And then then all of a sudden the car seems to be way more beautiful after you drive it. So <laughs> sure. That's kind sure. of how well, it works. I guess I guess a mother will always loves their uh, son or daughter, right? <laughs> They're never ugly. <laughs> they, so. they do. So right. I, I can't they agree do. with you, but I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Well, Car, go ahead, Bruce. Same way. Yeah. Do you have anything else, Bruce? Oh, I just wanted to ask you. Is you mentioned you're a Stewart at least for the say you're 59 and maybe for the the other cars as well what what kind of steward are you do you baby these cars do you still drive them do you take them out in the rain would you drive them in the mud i mean what how how much do you baby them or not at all i kind of baby them moderately um it, it depends i mean it's funny the imperial which is the car that's the most valuable to me and probably the hardest car to replace i actually kind of baby it the less that's why Last time uh, James saw me driving, I was dri- driving across the bumpy dirt field to go to go go do a running race. <laughs> yeah. It was all covered in dust. But to me, that car—I'm driving that car in the spirit of what my grandmother drove in, which is just an everyday driver. The car, even though you know it looks good, it's clean. It's not a show car, and the car has a lot of miles on it. And I, I just think it was meant to be driven. If, if cars sit around too much, they don't do well. You know, they start to leak. Uh, they become very hard to start. Um, you know, the gas in the engine starts to deteriorate. You, you really need to get these cars out. They're like a human. They need a little bit of exercise once sure. in a while. Yeah, sure. So what I do with that um, Miata, I only really drive it um, in the summer. And I, 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 what, I, what I'll do with that car, it's, in, it's, in a, it's, in, it's still in the 
in the garage of my mom's car up, up in Incline Village. So what I do is I'll usually drive up there in my daily driver um, sometime around the 1st of August, and I'll put my car in the garage. I'll take that car down here to Sacramento, and then I'll just drive that thing every day for a month, put about 1,500 miles on it, and then take it back up there and park it in the garage, and I don't really drive it much the rest of the year. But it, the cars need to get out and get a little bit of exercise. Sure, that was what I was going to ask you. I think the last time we saw each other briefly was in a coffee shop uh, in East Sacramento, and I forgot what your daily driver is. Or, or do you have more right. than Yeah, we have more than one, or... No, I, I just have one daily driver, and it's a really, really fun car. It is a, a 2013 Fiat Abarth, and they only made about 3,000 of them that year. It's wow. almost an instant collector's item. It's really a fun car. Um, you know, these, these it's a, it's not like your regular Fiat that you see running all over Sacramento. And actually, my wife has a, a, a normal Fiat. I'm going to call it normal because mine's kind of abnormal. Um, it has... Uh, it's completely tricked out. It's a high-performance car. It has 160 horsepower, and uh, it's turbocharged. And it's a very small car, and it's very quick. And uh, it's really just. And it's also economical. I mean, I've gotten as high as 38 miles a gallon in that car, and the worst I've gotten is 24. So it depends on if you're driving around town or if you're on the highway. But the car is just—it's just a hoot to drive, and it's, the interior is all leather. It's kind of luxurious. It's just a fun Italian car. And uh, it's cheap, you know. I mean, that thing, um, those cars listed for $27,000. And I was looking for one. I wanted a certain color combination. I wanted the white car with all the red accents. Yes. But I didn't want, but I didn't want the cloth interior. And um, they're very hard to find with leather. So I went online, and the only one I could find west of the Mississippi was exactly what I wanted. And it had the red leather interior, which is really cool looking it is. It was, in, it, was at a, it was at a car dealership in Houston, and they couldn't give that thing away. That had been sitting on their on their showroom for uh, out there on their lot for almost a year. And you know, if you can imagine Houston's park, this dealership also sold all these giant pickup trucks sure. and all these other vehicles, which sure. were probably really hot sellers in Houston. Nobody wanted that car, so um, I got them to sell it to me for twenty thousand dollars. It's brand new. And uh, for another 900 bucks, I had it shipped out here in California. So that was a, that was really a good deal. I got the car I wanted, and it was a really good deal. I love the car. I drive it every day, and it's just fun. Every time I turn the key, it makes all this noise. I uh, love it. Yeah, my, my, my friends, what's up? James and I are kind of familiar with them. I guess we uh, went to a press briefing on those when they first came out, which I guess must have been 20. 13. Yes. And we got to drive all the Fiat 500s, including the uh, the Ar- Arboth. Arboth. Everybody, yeah, the, Abarth, everybody yeah, there, Abarth. all the experts pronounced Abarth differently, so I'm yeah. still not real clear on how I'm <laughs> supposed true. to pronounce it's it. It's really, uh, uh, an expert told me how to pronounce it. It's called Abarth. Abarth. That's, that's, Abarth. Okay. That's what, that's what I've been told, and whether it's true or false, I don't know. But what's re- another fun uh, bonus of that car is when you buy one of those, you get one track day at whichever uh, uh, auto racing track is nearest to your house. So in other words, um, for me, it's Laguna Seca. So what they did is they paid for uh, me and, uh, and all these other fellow uh, Abarth owners. We all were all down there. We drove down there, and it was like on a Saturday, and uh, Laguna Seca, and um, they uh, kept us there all day long and driving, uh, racing around the. Uh, you know, around the Laguna Seca racetrack. Sure. We did a, like a little, then we did a little road, uh, like a, in the parking lot, they set up a rally course. We did that and they timed us and we competed against each other. 
And that was just an absolute thrill. And it's such an unusual thing to throw in with kind of a cheap new car. I've just never seen any marketing tool quite like that. It was, it was really a heck of a lot of fun. That's a great uh, incentive. Yeah. That's fantastic. Hey, Andy, yeah, well, really um, we would we would talk the rest of the day because you, you have a, a, just an incredible amount of knowledge and you're, we can just tell you have a lot of passion for the cars. And as I said, we know you a little bit around town, but it's, hey, it's been really nice to, to talk about cars. And next time we see each other at coffee, we'll, we'll continue. How's that? That sounds great. Uh, gentlemen, it was great talking to you, uh, James and Bruce. And uh, I will see you guys out on the streets of Sacramento. You yes. Bet. And it's funny, you mentioned the uh, uh, Maserati connection. It's we just have a Maserati in the park in our driveway yeah, right my, now. Yeah, my car for the week is the uh, Lev- Levante, the new Levante, uh, smaller SUV, and I haven't had a Maserati before, so we're going to go take it to lunch. So it should be a kick in the Man, pants. that's exciting. Yeah. You guys are something else. You guys are living the life. <laughs> we're living the life. <laughs> um, hey, we want to thank Andy Harris for being our guest today on the Weekly Driver podcast. Visit the website, theweeklydriver.com. All of the podcasts up to 90, this will be 91 are archived on the site take a look visit some we've had some incredible guests including our guest today who has these three wonderful vintage cars so thanks again andy we really want appreciate it and we'll we'll see you around town thank you guys and i'll see you around take okay. care cheers thank bye-bye you. the weekly driver podcast receives support from americantrucks.com your late model silverado sierra ram and f-150 online aftermarket retailer bringing you all of the hottest parts from accessories to lift kits, from wheels to tires and winches. AmericanTrucks.com has the knowledge and know-how to make your wildest dreams come to reality.